Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. And welcome to the Friday Habit. You're listening to Benjamin Manley and Mark Lavriola. We have a great guest today for uh, us and everyone who's listening. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, and scaling culture is one of them. Um, but today we have um, Joseph on the podcast. Joseph Fung is an amazing entrepreneur and businessman. Uh, he's the CEO of Yuvaro, the career success platform, an award-winning five-time technology founder and CEO with multiple successful ex- exits. Successful exits, that's that's the key there, right? And Joseph is also an expert on HR technology and is a compelling presenter who speaks frequently on the topics of career success, future of work, high-performing culture, and corporate social responsibility. As a purpose-driven leader who is recognized by uh, for challenging the status quo, Joseph is driven to help the world's professionals lead more fulfilling careers. Joseph, welcome to the Friday Habit. Mark, Ben, thanks for having me. This is going to be so much fun. I know, yeah. We're excited. Totally. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to hear the story of, of entrepreneurs and how they first started and kind of their journey, because I think there's a lot of encouragement and hope that comes from those stories, because uh, a lot of times, you know, we create these narratives in our head of, oh, well, they had something given to them or they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and it was just easy for them to have success or, um, you know, achieve great things. But a lot of times when we start hearing these stories, we start to realize that, man, it just took a lot of hard work and dedication and vision, um, you know, for achievement. And so I would love to kind of hear your origin story a little bit, you know, if we can kind of kick off the conversation of, you know, how you got into, I mean, growing hundred employee companies and, and exiting, like, like when you were a little kid, were you just always like had the lemonade stand and you're like selling, you know, gum sticks to kids in school? Like, you know, how did, how did you get started he in su- your successfully journey? exited his <laughs> lemonade stand at the age of nine? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's so funny. Like this stuff does start early. Uh, I, it wasn't the lemonade stand for me, but we did have the teacher who would give homework exemption cards if you did extra well, you'd earn a homework exemption card. And I was that nerd who earned so many and I could sell them or like, let's go. Yeah. Right. Taking off There's at a- recess to Ooh. hit the, uh, hit the convenience store at main street. And if you sneak out and you buy, you know, like a 20 cent, 50 cent chocolate bar, you can flip it for a buck back at the school. <laughs> it's like the arbitrage is, has always been true. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's so awesome. So, so a young, where, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in? Yeah, we're in Canada. So yeah, like the I Toronto the about, area. The about- <laughs> <laughs> the nice round O's. There. Yeah, I heard that. I was like, is it Canadian there? Yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Canada. Were your parents, you know, pretty encouraging of you at a young age to like kind of pursue things or did they want you to 
did you let's just let's just start yes okay so you, you started flipping candy bars you know and then after that yeah you, you went I, my, to college my parents, i'd say my parents were definitely enablers like through, throughout that process you know that i got the fast food job and they're like do do you want to do the fast food job and, and be lame or or do you want to do something tougher and and make more money and yeah so they, they always encouraged me uh but I mean, side hustles and stuff like when you're a kid are one thing. The first real business with employees and things we ran uh, was actually during college. Um, I did a uh, I did a computer engineering degree, and at the school I was at, they do something called co-op. So you do four months of school, four months of work, four months of school, four months of work. That's cool. And I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of Ubers in my, my founding story. One of my jobs was at a Raytheon factory. I know, cool company, building some yeah. wicked satellites, uh, so like uh, satellite dishes. They had got a new president, new global president. He comes to visit the factory. And uh, I'm excited. I'm like, maybe I'll meet this guy in the hallway. You know, I'll get some like pearls of wisdom who drops from this amazing, illustrious president. But everyone else was freaked. They're like, why is he coming? Is he going to close the factory? Are we all going to get laid off? This is terrifying. And it, and it struck me that that was a terrible way to run a company, you know, mm. where the new president comes and everyone's fearful for their job. So I assumed I could build a better company than Raytheon. Uh, so that's why I got started. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. Bold, ambitious. <laughs> totally. I was like, I could do better than this. <laughs> yeah. Multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> no. But it really was that idea. Like, how do I build a place that people love to work and don't just start with that fear? Hmm. That's awesome. And so, yeah. So what was that like? Cause what was your first venture? Like what, what was that Raytheon competitor? Yeah. The, the first one was a, uh, a company building web content management software, you know, like a WordPress competitor before WordPress existed. And uh-huh. we sold it through advertising agencies. Uh, and you know, a lot of agencies at the time they were doing like ad spends campaigns, their clients would say, Hey, can you do a website for me? And they'd say, sure. And they turn around to go find a website guy. That was the thing. They all had a web guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we sold white-labeled software through them to power websites. Uh, and so, yeah, B2B marketing technology, and we sold through agencies. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. We ended up uh, building that company and splitting into two and selling our uh, the services side of our business to another agency and the software to our biggest reseller. Uh, so fun, fun journey there, deep in the early days of web tech. That's awesome. What was the size of that company? Just out of curiosity, I have a web design company, so that's why I'm asking. I'm just curious. So at the time that we sold it, uh, we were about 16 people uh, in terms of size, and uh, we were selling through a network of about 500 reseller agencies. Hmm. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you built relationships and partnerships with the the agencies. Some of it was services you were offering them, and some of it was more of the um, actual software. So then you sold that as two separate things afterwards. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of the agencies would need to outsource uh, some of like the web design and some of the tech. Uh, the part that was really interesting was that all of them, uh, all of them, one hundred percent of them, did not want to support the websites that they were building and selling. So uh, we sold the uh, the SaaS and the support license uh, underneath there, and uh, it was really fun. It was really great. Cool. Yeah. When you first started that venture, was that an idea that you had like alone, or did you have like a buddy that was like, "Hey, let's go do this" and like. Yeah, it was, uh, had a co-founder that we'd met online. Uh, one of those really, you know, it was that awkward, uncomfortable stage where people were like, oh, gasp, you met somebody on the internet and you met in real life. Uh, we, we met on a bunch of open source programming forums and then we realized we're both in the same town. And I don't know who said it first. One of us said, hey, we're in the same town, we should meet. And it was that moment of like, oh crap, somebody said it. Now we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was terrifying. But then we started doing a lot of open source work together and realized, hey, we can use these skills to actually make a business out of it. And uh, it started small, started on the side, and then just quickly took off because it was at that 
point of inflection where the web was really taking off and everyone needed a site. Yeah. It's like the right time, yeah. you know, totally. and the right idea. So, and then all kind of converges together and then you have that success. So how long did you do that? Um, before it got to a point to where you said, wow, like maybe we should sell this thing and go, go do something else. Yeah. So, so that business we ran for about four and a half years, uh, before we ended up selling it. Um, and then, uh, that was a fully bootstrapped company. Uh, immediately after that, we had a bootstrapped, uh, a hyperlocal social network. Uh, that one was not a successful exit. <laughs> we had the exit lined up and we're on our way to close the deal. Uh, you know, all the documents, and everything were in the trunk of the car and they, they called us up to say, Hey, our investors pulled through. We don't have the money. We won't be there. Um, so a couple of bootstrap companies, and then uh, I've had the good fortune to run a couple of venture-backed companies as well. Uh, and so good kind of bookend spectrum experiences. Hmm. That's cool, yeah. Uh, uh, when you are in between projects, you know, between one thing and another, it probably varies, but what do you think about, how do you consider like what you're going to do next? Um, I'm one of those, uh, my, my wife hates it. I'm always distracted. I'm always thinking about new ideas. I've, I've pretty much always got the next idea before I, I kind of wrap up the previous one. So there's, <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah <laughs> not, not a lot of downtime. Uh, usually, uh, what's happening at that point is it's, I'm feeling like I've solved a problem as much as I possibly can. Uh, and then it's out hunting for the next problem. You know, what is mm. a, the kind of problem that, a business owner or an individual feels so acutely that they're willing to pay some money right now, drop that cash to get it fixed. And that's that problem is typically what's driving me to figure out what's next. How do you approach that as far as like, do you have a certain discipline or a certain strategy as far as like, you know, generating those ideas or do you have like a notebook that you write down things as they come to you in the shower and then like review them later and say, Oh, like let me put some effort and like energy into this. Oh, I don't, I try not to write them down because the list will get too long. It's just, they're always bubbling it up. Uh, I've got, uh, my, my wife always makes fun of me. Some people, you know, they'll drunk text uh, and she, she laughs that I, I tend to drunk startup. Uh, <laughs> I have so many domain names for that kind of stuff. It's embarrassing. Uh, at one point we launched a subscription bacon service because we just felt it had to happen. Uh, and that's, it's not a good use of time. So no, I don't write them down. Uh, <laughs> the I, domain purchasing. Yeah. That's, that's a thing that always gets you. You know, I have so many domains. Every time I have an idea, I'm like, Oh, let me buy the domain. So hundred percent. Yeah. My, my best one right now, it's, it's a fatty yoga. <laughs> but P-H-A-T-T-Y, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, we could like cater towards, you know, heavier set people being real flexible and, you know, <laughs> doing it's, yoga. I, I'm looking for like my first yoga retreat to actually go and do something. And if there was like a fatty yoga, I would totally have been looking at that for a retreat. So you're, See? you're sitting All right. something. Mark. I got some. It's, it's on my list of, you know, maybe's. <laughs> 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 you, you'd ask about like a methodology though. The, the two big things I look at is like, what are the long-term trends? Like, how do you build something that's going to take advantage of a bigger trend? Rising mm -hmm. tide lifts all boats, all that. Let's kind of go with the current, not fighting against it. Um, but then the second thing is, is you're talking to people, you know, with those problems. Uh, we've got a, my co-founders and I have got a pretty set methodology where we sit down and we try to interview as many people in that problem space and ask them three questions. The first is, uh, you know, do I understand the problem right? So I describe what I think that problem is, what I've heard, and ask them if I hear it right. They'll fix my understanding if I'm wrong. Second thing is, here's how I would solve it. Do I understand the solution correctly? And so sometimes it's a software tool, sometimes it's a service, sometimes it's an approach. And same thing, if I get it wrong, they'll tell me. And then the last thing is, if I could give that to you right now, here, today, how much would you pay me for it? And 
they'll tell you what the total value is, but more importantly, they'll also let you know how they think about the pricing. Is this a dollar per person, a dollar per client, a dollar per month, or whatever? And mm -hmm. those three things, as you start having multiple conversations, that framework just helps you hone in on the actual pain and solutions super, super quickly. And so it, it makes the ideation process really fast. So it sounds to me like it's important to have people around you that can kind of help you flesh out the ideas and speak into, you know, the inspiration a little bit. Yeah, definitely people to brainstorm with. Uh, the big thing, though, is people who are willing to have that half-hour conversation to talk about the problem. Uh, and it's funny, people like entrepreneurs. They're never going to say no, especially if you bring the free cup of coffee. Uh, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll share their problems because yeah. they hope you'll fix it. Yeah, it, I, I love it. It's such a, a practical approach to this. It's like, people out there have my money. They have problems. How do I give them the solution and trade them that solution for the money they have? It's just like... Very, very simple. I mean, I'm putting a little bit of words in your mouth, the money part. But as far as the, the problems, like there are problems and just searching for what are the problems, uh, it's, it's a really pragmatic way to go about it. And I think probably hard to go wrong, especially if you're looking at the long-term trends and kind of riding those waves when you can. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I see a lot of my peers, uh, like a lot of engineers, we do this. You know, we'll say, hey, I've got this idea for the product or how it's going to work. And then you build a prototype and you start trying to shop it around. And right. you get so hooked on the idea. And we got to get, I think, if we want to be great at building companies, we need to be comfortable letting the ideas go. Mm. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just kind of like allowing your baby to... You know, just it's going dark. Let's just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Joseph specifically didn't use that term. Yeah. Exactly. I, I've got two young kids now, and so I'm careful yeah. about not yeah. using that. Like all the yeah. jokes. It's like, like shh, Mark, <laughs> they might be in the room right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I think that's interesting, I think for Ben and I, and for a lot of our listeners is the idea of scaling, right? Like, you know, we, we both have agencies that are smaller agencies. And, um, you know, one of the things I think about and kind of worry about is, you know, how do I scale my business and maintain the culture that has really been built off of my personality and my core values and, and mm -hmm. things like that? But how do I, you know, grow and then maintain that as well? I mean, is that something that, that you kind of learned over the years of like making mistakes and kind of readjusting the next time you did something and, and, and tell us a little bit about your like process in that. Cause it sounds to me like you've kind of mastered, mastered that as far as like kind of maintaining the culture as you grow. Cause I think that's like the biggest thing. Cause now all of a sudden you're hiring, maybe when you first start, you're hiring friends who are like-minded and similar values and things like that. But then as you grow, it's like, you can't micromanage all those hires and making sure that everybody aligns with you uh, in all these different areas. So what does that look like? Totally. Uh, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've made a ton of mistakes along the way and I think the biggest benefit of having run a few companies is each time you kind of get to reset the clock at how you tackle the problem. Uh, and so it's, uh, I, I say I've got a bit of a, of a playbook and a methodology, but it's definitely uh, developed over time uh, with the benefit of some great mentors, great coaches. Uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the starting point. It's like your personality, your values, what you believe in, that's unequivocally the starting point. And uh, any, any entrepreneur who's saying, hey, maybe I'm going to hire someone in HR to kind of fix culture, they're off to kind of a bad start. Yeah, uh, right. the, yeah the, the fact that you know it comes from you is really the most important. Um, as we try to roll it out, we think about three steps, like the definition, 
You know, how do you actually articulate your culture and what does it take? Um, how do you share it? So what are the artifacts, the stories that you share to actually uh, propagate it? Uh, and then the scaling uh, really comes down to the hiring and performance management processes. Um, that sounds really big, but I think the things, the end goal, the way to think about the end goal is how can you build a system so that you don't need to interview somebody and mm. feel confident that they will match the culture of your company. And I often, whenever I talk to, especially first-time entrepreneurs, and I say that, like, hey, how do you feel confident someone's going to hire for a good culture and you can't interview the person? It's a very terrifying thing. Yeah. But when you get there, it's extremely liberating. Uh, and mm. I'll, the spoiler with this company, I managed to do it at hire number 10. Uh, I'd love to get into the single digits with a future company at some point. Uh, uh-huh. But now we're at the point where I, there's so many people in our company who can hire others and I have complete confidence in the culture fit. I'm not the bottleneck. And as the entrepreneur, that's the key thing. How do I disengage from the process so I'm not the limiting factor? Man, that is such an interesting uh, way of thinking about it. I love that challenge. It's like, uh, it reminds me of trying to teach my kids how to cook something. It's like, all right, I'm going to teach them how to cook, but I'm not going to touch anything in the kitchen. Like, I'm not allowed yeah. to actually touch anything. I have to describe what to do. Like, that's almost like the the challenge there. It's like, uh, and how does that look? You know, what you said, defining the culture, sharing the culture, and then scaling the culture. How does that look when you say that challenge? Does that come down to writing the right interview questions, teaching judgment to the people interviewing? I mean, there's probably a couple of things, but what are some of the key things you found that actually work uh, as far as systemizing the hiring process? Totally. Uh, the, the order is really important. Uh, that kind of define, share, scale. The defining, a lot of people... Um, uh, you know, Mark, I love the way you, you characterize it right at the beginning, the values. We, that's really what we talk about. Culture comes down to the shared values we're all going to believe in. And it's really important as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you can write them all down. Uh, don't worry, it, has to be, it doesn't have to be the values you exhibit right now. It's the values you want the company to have. And mm-hmm. it can be aspirational, so you can do it on day one. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to hold yourself accountable to being perfect at them all the time. you got to be able to write them down. Um, and do it in a way that you can share them with every person who joins the company. The shareable part is actually where it starts to get hard. Writing down the values is easy. I mean, you can sit down for a couple of hours, wordsmith it. The sharing is where you start to think about the artifacts and the stories. It's mm-hmm. companies do the poster on the wall. That's lame. Mm-hmm. Don't do just that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But like, think about the anecdotes that really make it believable. So, like, if if one of your values is like customer centricity. Reflect. Think about one of the stories where you lived up to it, a past employee did, someone else Mm. did. Talk about those. uh, Mm -hmm. Build habits. Uh, So some things that have worked well for us. On our monthly all-hands, we start off every all-hands meeting with kudos, recognition. We just tell stories about when somebody in the company exhibited one of our values and we call out what value it was. We write those in our handbook. Uh, We put them up on our website. Uh, We record little videos appreciating it. It's just like, what are the stories, those artifacts about the values? Once you have those, the hidden thing is a story has the behavior, like what someone did mm. like to exhibit customer centricity. You know, maybe they, the customer wanted a refund and it didn't fit inside the refund policy, but they found a way to do it anyway. Okay, there's the behavior. And now when you're figuring out your performance reviews and you're hiring, you design interview questions or performance review scores around those behaviors, so now if I'm interviewing somebody, I don't just say, hey, what do you think about customer centricity? People can read your website. They'll know what the value is. They'll say, I believe in it. That's great. Yeah. But, but you can say, hey, can you tell me about a time when you did something on behalf of the customer, even though you know the company didn't want it? 
It's like, go, let's, let's actually dig right into the heart of the behavior. And if you can mm-hmm. give your team that really clear guideline, here's a question to ask, here's a behavior that reinforces the values, here's a behavior that's a negative example, and now here's that scorecard, you can actually equip someone to go and say, hey, yeah, this person can buy into our culture. That's great. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I love the part where you talked about um, sharing stories um, because that makes it very practical in a way. Like, um, I think a lot of values are very abstract, you know, uh-huh. integrity, or I mean, and some of them are, you know, just kind of like, okay, that's, you know, good, but it's not very actionable. And uh, one thing we do, we, we, um, do something called uh, core behaviors instead of core values. So it's kind of similar, but just like a, an action. And it sounds like that's similar to what you're doing. But I love the idea of what you're doing even more because you're talking about sharing like examples and stories of these things, not even just like what the behavior should be. Um, and we do something every week called kudos where we celebrate something a customer said about our team or something like that. But I like, I like your twist on it, which is, Hey, tying it directly to a value and not even something that customers say, maybe somebody on the team calls somebody else out on the team and sees, Hey, you know what you, you follow this value. It's not even about what the customer thinks or what they said, but it's about, I saw and I noticed that you exhibited, exhibited this value and then makes them an example. Like that's, that's, a, I love that. Like that's an amazing tip. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, Go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.